mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Today's episode has been sponsored by Jay McLaughlin. Jay McLaughlin is a timeless lifestyle brand with incredible style and a spirit of connection. I am obsessed with Jay McLaughlin and have been so honored that they are sponsoring my Zibiverse tour. It just so happens that the tour goes to so many communities and areas of the country that have Jay McLaughlin stores. And I love that the brand is philanthropic through Jay McLaughlin's local and loyal programming host store events to give back to organizations that are meaningful to Jay McLaughlin's local communities. I also love the fact that the clothes are just so chic. They make me feel polished and modern. And the best part is that most of the line comes in fabrics that don't wrinkle. I especially love the dresses, the cashmere sweaters, the other sweaters. You'll see them all over my Instagram. I typically tag at Jay McLaughlin. And so you can check it out. It is absolutely one of my favorite brands and I am over the moon excited to be working with them. In fact, I want to share the love with all of you. Jay McLaughlin is giving 20% off new customers and listeners of my podcast with special code ZIBBY20, capital Z-I-B-B-Y 20. That's 20% off for new customers and listeners of the podcast with special code capital Z Zibby 20. Take advantage of it today. My favorites are this white open long cashmere sweater that I've been wearing on every flight that I've taken on this tour. I have a blue with light blue horizontal striped sweater, several dresses I even wore on Corny America. Check it out. Jay McLaughlin. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Rebecca Mackay is the author of I Have Some Questions for You, a novel. 
And by the way, I picked this book for Zibby's book club. So go online to Zibby's book club on book clubs or on my website, and you can sign up to be a member and to have a great event with Rebecca herself coming in person on Zoom. Rebecca Mackay's last novel, The Great Believers, was a finalist for both the Pulitzer Prize and the National Book Award. It was the winner of the ALA Carnegie Medal, the Stonewall Book Award, the Clark Prize, and the Los Angeles Times Book Prize, and it was chosen as one of the 10 best books of 2018 by the New York Times. Her other books are the novels The Borrower and The Hundred Year House, and the collection Music for Wartime, four stories of which appeared in the best American short stories. A 2022 Guggenheim Fellow, Rebecca is on the MFA faculties of the University of Nevada, Reno at Lake Tahoe, and Northwestern University, and is Artistic Director of Story Studio Chicago. Now we will talk about, I have some questions for you. Welcome, Rebecca. I'm so excited to have you back on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This time for I Have Some Questions for You. Last time, The Great Believers. So welcome back. Thank you. I'm so excited to talk to you again. As I was just saying, I love this book so much. I couldn't wait to talk to you about it. And you're going to come to Zibby's book club and talk to all the book club members about it, which I'm so excited about. Okay, why don't you start off by giving the little elevator pitch about what you're... What you, what's your book about, Rebecca? Yeah. So the way I've been pitching it is it's the literary feminist boarding school murder mystery that you didn't know you needed. <laughs> it is a lot of things. It sounds like a lot of things and it is a lot of things. But yeah, the basic story is there's a woman who returns to the boarding school where she was pretty unhappy as a teenager to teach a two-week class. And while she's there, some of her students start looking into for a project Uh, the murder of one of her classmates. There's someone in prison for this murder that happened their senior year. But a lot of people on the internet think it's the wrong guy. And the students think it's the wrong guy. And pretty soon this woman, Bodhi, is herself convinced that the wrong person is in prison. And so she's revisiting her past, questioning things. It's set mostly in 2018. So right after Me Too, when a lot of us were casting an eye back, not necessarily on the biggest things that had happened to us in that realm, but on all the little things that added up. And she's looking back on a lot of those from her high school years and trying to figure out what actually happened. But then you take us through like all the way to post COVID and like, you know, it's almost like you you end up on my doorstep. Do you know what I mean? I feel like (laughs) like I'm back there and all of a sudden it's like, well, this happened. I I don't know. Like I'm looking in your window. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I was trying to analyze what made this book just so great. And I think, I mean, this sounds obvious, but the writing of it is so amazing. It's not like the, and the plot and the way you interwove everything, but some of your sentences and just the way that you look at the world and describe things, which is probably why you were a Pulitzer Prize finalist, but just the way you write is so different. I'm just like anywhere I pick, I dog-eared like a thousand pages, but Uh where can I, let me try to read some examples of just like beautiful prose. I mean, they're all really good, but now I'm finding all the parts that are quotes. There was one when you were driving in the car on the way, well, here, I'll just read this one. Rita was a pinball, bounced from one spot to the next. I related. What had my childhood been? But a constant ricochet from one place and one disaster to the next. But to be fair, that's most childhoods. I have to resist the urge to self-mythologize, to paint my own journey as harder than anyone else's, just so I can give myself credit for getting out. I'm allowed to take that credit regardless. So declareth my shrink. (laughs) (laughs) But that's not the one I was talking about. But I will find, I just want to read how you described the landscape when you were driving 
driving up, mm-hmm. but I guess I won't because I can't find it. But I'll, well, I'll see keep this. No, no, it's a teaser, and now they have to read the book to find out. Now they have to read the book exactly. Well, the point is, like the way you describe things in the simplest terms, used in a different way. Right. It just, so it makes you think about something differently. It, it's just really Thanks, amazing. I appreciate it's just it. really amazing. Um, and then of course, in this book, you intersperse the narrative with these little, I don't even know how to describe them, like interstitial questioning sections. So talk, talk about that piece of it. Yeah. Well, so it's a, it's a second person book, not in like the choose your own adventure sense, not like you walk into a room, which would have been fun, but not the book that I wrote. But it's addressed, and I don't think this is too much of a spoiler because we learn really early the you of the book. It's addressed to this music teacher at the school who was a big mentor to Bodhi, the main character, way back. But she's starting to realize might have known a lot more, been involved in the death of this student who he might have been romantically involved with as well. So there, there are quite a few sections that, you know, there are places where she's, you know, addressing him directly. There are other places where we really leave the narrative behind for a minute to do other things, like mm-hmm. to talk about Rita Hayworth, which is what that passage was about, because she's a she's a film historian, or to talk about different ways that she can imagine the night of the crime having unfolded. So we have these kind of different theories and visions of what could have happened. There are a couple of sections that are all just questions addressed to the sky. I'm never too interested in really straightforward narrative. If I look back on my other three novels, The Great Believers was probably the most traditional narrative, but even so it went back and forth between two time periods. Other ones, The Borrower, my first book, it's about a children's librarian who accidentally kidnaps someone. And there are sections throughout that are written short sections just written in the style of different famous children's books. So there's a section that's written like The Very Hungry Caterpillar and a section that's written like Goodnight Moon. I think it's just me breaking things up, not wanting to get bored myself, not wanting to bore people and feeling like there are things that fiction can do that say film can't, um, things that novels can do that a shorter narrative could have a hard time with. And delving into those other modes of telling without losing the main narrative can be really, really fun. It's one of those things that I'm always, you know, like film has a lot going for it over books, right? Like you got the music and you get the close-ups and you got Sean Penn's face and whatever, right? But (laughs) the things that film can do, and I mean, the fiction can do in breaking that fourth wall or going down these roads, these flights of fancy, these other ways of telling can be really, really fun. And I feel like you totally have this like crime detective mentality and the way that it must be you because your character does it. Like it has to come from somewhere. Like just how you analyze even the dimensions and geometry of of like the falls and the wounds and what it would mean and and just like taking the whole thing apart and how you have us literally like in the pool, in the cold. I mean, it's just so immersive and awesome. Thanks. Did you take a real place and even the vantage point on the bike, like all of this yeah. reenactment of the crime and, and <laughs> the theorizing? How did you get to all that? Well, okay. So let's start with the fact that I live on campus at a boarding school. Yeah. But I'll take you in a quick tour of my office. So this is my office. That's the door to my apartment. That is the door to a dorm of 40 teenage girls. So my husband is the one who teaches here. I don't. 
my and my daughter's a freshman now, which is really Aww. cool. <laughs> my daughter's a freshman at boarding school now too. Yeah. Okay. We have to. Off, I wonder off, if she. I wonder if she's recording. outside. <laughs> yeah. Right. That'd be amazing. After, after I think recording, I, I would have heard. I think I would have heard. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, I've lived here for quite a while, quite a few years. This is also, here's what gets really weird. This is also the boarding school that I attended as a day student, as a teenager, before my husband taught here. I dragged him to Chicago. He was not my teacher. So I have lived on campus at my high school, my boarding school, even though I was a day student for a lot of my adult life. So that said, I would, you know, I was always going to, at some point, write a boarding school novel. I just think they're fascinating places. I was never going to write about this school, and I have not. One big difference is I live near Chicago. You know, it's a lot of Midwestern kids, a lot of Chicago kids. It's international too, but it's a very, very Chicago kind of place. I made this like a classic New Hampshire, in the woods, old boarding school. And really, I've imagined the campus. Um, A lot of fun drawing maps for myself. And actually, the marketing department at Penguin, they were like, can you send us a map? And I was like, yeah, it's going to be really ugly. And I sent it to them. And they've made this beautiful watercolor version that they're going to put out there at some point. I'm so excited about it. Um, Like, you made it actually make sense and look pretty. But you know, it's it's a lot of things in my head coming together at once. It's partly, weirdly, the campus of Reed College in Oregon because I was teaching at a summer program there, and I that clicked. It's partly other campuses I visited. It's partly my imagination, and then there's a little bit of a tiny bit of this campus where I live, especially in just envisioning the the scene of the crime. And and for people who haven't read it yet. Um, this young woman, Thalia, drowned in the campus pool in the middle of the night, but with severe injuries to her body. And there's a lot of question about entrances and exits and access and, you know, changed a bunch of stuff, but was able to kind of take the basic footprint of a pool with a back door and a football field near <laughs> and picture things a little bit better that way. Oh my gosh. So long answer to your question. Yeah, no, I like long answers. That's great. (laughs) It's my job here easier. No, I'm kidding. You also went into a lot of different people's sort of family interior lives. So we have friends on campus who are a couple, and then we even have the mom of the alleged killer who's been imprisoned. And that was particularly heartbreaking. I thought her whole storyline and the way she spoke about it. How did you, like when you were going into all these different lives, right? And letting us in, inside, essentially. Like, was that the plan from the beginning? And how, I guess, how did you structure the whole book from the outset? Did you know where it was going and how many lives would be affected? Or it was, did you just keep going and say like, oh, well now what's, what would be behind this curtain? And da, 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 you know, all that. Yeah. You know, I had it all in my head and then I just typed. <laughs> well, I or like, a, or, or a, <laughs> Yeah, a general outline or something. I don't know. Yeah, no, no. I mean, it it changes a ton. So the initial idea that I had actually was I was really interested in the fact that when people need to reconvene for a trial, Mm -hmm. uh, like a retrial, they or a a hearing for retrial, which is what ends up happening in the book, um, the state has to put them up if they're traveling in from over a certain distance. And you know, very often most people still live in the area where the crime occurred. But if you had gone to a boarding school in the woods in New Hampshire, 
most people do not still live in the county in New Hampshire where this happened. And so with limited resources, they would all probably be staying in the same hotel. And I thought that would be a fascinating book to write, kind of like the big chill, but like the Westing game, which was my favorite book as a kid. Um, That was the book that I thought I was going to write. And when I first sat down and started to write, I was writing, okay, they're back. It's a retrial. They're checking each other out. And I was going to need to put in a lot of backstory. And then I was like, oh my, like working, I'm like, there's so much backstory. How am I going to tell not only what happened, but then how they got to the point of having a retrial? I guess I'd better start with, you know, the recent past and I'll have a little bit of that and then I'll get to the, and the, what I originally thought was going to be sort of a prologue ended up being three quarters of the book, I want to ah. say. <laughs> and only in the last quarter do they actually get to this hotel as adults. Uh, I mean, they're, they're adults, the whole, you know, the whole yeah, book yeah. just back, but, but, you know, that hotel part. Yeah, that was a surprise. And then, and in terms of whose lives you go into, that was definitely a surprise. You know, Omar, the guy who is in prison for the crime, he was giving me a lot of trouble because it was not in the beginning going to be a story about her going to the state prison and listening to this guy's narrative because she, for a lot of the beginning of the book, still thinks he's guilty. So why would she be doing that? And how could I get his story in? And I'm not going to give, you know, I would not know how to write a story where I gave half of it to a guy who's incarcerated in, in federal prison. I, it's not, I'm not the right person for that. But I realized that there were ways in, for instance, a television interview with this guy's mother, who's like a lot of people who, you know, they've really worked through their narrative, they've talked about it a lot, is able to express really well in this interview the ways that this has destroyed her family, having this young man taken away. So that it came later. And then, I, you know, something that clicked. And I was like, yeah, this is this is the point of view that I need in order to see the thing that I can't yet show us directly. Wow. So neat. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
many times in the book, you kind of poke fun at, at how often people ask, like, what did you do with your kids? How are your kids doing? Like, who's taking care of your kids? Because you're here for two weeks teaching. Uh, tell me about that. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, it's I mean, it's something that if you ask kind of any woman with children who travels for work, there's this sort of constant, like, most often from other women. Honestly, I, I do understand often from an older generation of women where the underlying question, when they say who's watching your kids while you're here, part of the underlying question is like, I would not have been able to, to do this amount of travel. How are you doing this amount of travel? What's mm-hmm. what's changed? Right. Other times I think it's just it's just a conversation starter, but they're not realizing the subtext of what they're saying, where men do not get asked this question. Men do not get asked who's watching your kids while you're on book tour, while you're here for for a week. It's something, honestly, just for me personally, because this does come from my own life, um, as well as the lives of any woman who travels. Right? It, it wears away at you after a while, where you start, you know, as much as I'm like, I'm on book tour, shut up. Like my husband, my, their father is watching them. It, it's all good. After a while, you start to internalize this guilt of like, oh my God, yes, I have left my children alone. They will be scarred. That men would just not internalize because they're not getting that constant pecking away. And it was important to me, partly here, to write a book about someone who was a mother um, that's part of her identity, but this book is not about her being a mother. We never see her with her children. We only see her when she's on the road away from them and she FaceTimes them a couple times and that's it. Acknowledging that question that, that other characters have of like, where are your kids? Where are your kids? It's partly reality. It's partly a little like, if there were any readers or reviewers who were going to be like, well, she's a mother, but we never see her mothering. <laughs> kind of like, here, this is... <laughs> like we're allowed we're allowed to have this story it's okay that's really funny your answer to these questions like before you can even get them that's awesome really awesome and you have another storyline that you don't develop too much but still her backstory you have her kids which don't make an appearance but she is going through this sort of not bizarre all divorces are bizarre but just divorce in which she sometimes gets together with her husband who lives next door and it's like a whole thing and they text but she's kind of seeing someone else and I don't know I just thought it was so interesting how you wove all of that in carried it through and you're like it's almost like saying you know nobody has their life totally figured out like we're all in this mix of I don't know what like it just tied in so much to all the uncertainty and how she felt even as a kid in boarding school just sort of like this like she always just didn't feel like quite like on the straight and narrow in a way. Yeah. Yeah. She's definitely, you know, a human character. She's, she's flawed and, and not sure of herself and makes mistakes, puts her foot in her mouth very much a few times. Is constantly unsure of like, am I getting over involved in this case or was the whole problem to begin with that I wasn't involved and I should have been because I actually knew stuff and where's that line? And then my my job as an author is to complicate issues. It's not to simplify them. It's not to pretend there's an answer. It's to take an issue that's already complex and kind of mess it up more, right? Well, what if, you know, what about this? What if this happened? And even as she's looking back on her own adolescence with sort of a 
a modern eye, a me too kind of eye, someone online is trying to me too her husband or her ex, yes. soon to be ex, and in a way that she really doesn't agree with. Um, she's looking at the story and going, wait, I don't see what the problem is. Yep. And that complexity and that contradiction or paradox was was important for me in part because that's real. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the conversations, especially that women have had in real life, not online about looking back or about, well, you know, this guy got me too, but this one, I don't see what the, I don't see what he yeah. did wrong. Like everyone knew he was a jerk, but does he need to not ever get published again? Like um, it, it's, it's messy. And, you know, the version that we're going to be public about is either we're going to shut up or we're going to say a very kind of black and white type thing rather than the three hour conversation that you'd actually have in real life with glasses of wine with your friends about like, well, yeah, but, <laughs> you know, it's the job, I think, of fiction to get in there and to to look at that gray area. There's, you know, it's hard in public discourse to find that gray area. And fiction is one of the places where we can find it. I love that. I love how you said that the job of the author is to complicate things. Like that's such yeah. a cool way to look at a story, right? Yeah. I, I don't know. I just love that. I was um, crocheting the other night and this is what I always do because I, I have ADHD and I'm very impatient, but like the skein of yarn was kind of getting tangled and rather than work it out, I just like yanked it. <laughs> and now it's like more. And so all I can do is get in there and try to do this, but it makes it worse. And then I cut something and then I tie it. And, and I think it's going to get better, but it gets worse. And I was like, this is actually like how I write <laughs> just like, <laughs> but, but, you know, with hopefully, you know, with fiction, there's a purpose to that. With my yarn, it's just a disaster. And like, why do I not take the time to sort this out first? Oh my God. It may seem like that in your head, but the way it comes across is not messy and muddled. It's well, like, it's, thanks. I mean, it's, it's purposefully messy. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like what I want to write. I don't want to write a, a I never want to confuse anyone. Mm-hmm. I never, I never want to bore. I never want to confuse. Those are two just like, I'll go out, I'll bend over backwards to make sure those don't happen. So I don't want to write a messy narrative in that sense, but I want to dig into the mess of human life, human psychology, you know, the gray area, right? Take me back a little. How did you get into writing? Where did Hmm. you grow up? Yeah. Like, Like, I know you went to the boarding school, but like, who did you read? How did you become this? Like, how did you get to here? So my parents were both linguistics professors, which, you know, was an interesting childhood. Like both of them spoke a lot of languages, traveled a lot, grew up going to a lot of linguistics conferences in the summer on various empty <laughs> college races. I was like the only kid. Uh, and they were both uh, teaching at a, a public university in Chicago. There's nothing like fancy about this. It's just like, you know, the, the privilege was was educational and um, linguistic rather than like, you know, we're not living in some gorgeous, you know, house next to the Harvard campus or something. But I was not an only child, but my only sibling is 10 years older than me. So I was in many ways, essentially an only child with parents in their forties when I was born and like no neighbor kids. So I was just reading a lot and playing with, remember the, the, um, little people, they're like yeah, little, yeah. Little, little people. Yeah, we play with little people. Little people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Do they all sit in the school bus yep. or whatever? Had, and we had a boat in my bathtub with my brother. Oh, like yeah. Boat, you know, yeah. You know, yeah, there were, so they're plastic ones. Yeah, the plastic like, ones. And I had my sister's old wooden ones too. Oh, okay. They wouldn't get along. They were very, yeah. <laughs> there were race wars between the, like the wooden people and the plastic people. <laughs> you know, I just spent a lot of time alone reading, thinking. Lois Lowry was my favorite childhood author. I just interviewed her. What's that? I just interviewed her. No way. Yes. Oh my God. I'm so jealous. I've never. Really awesome. I know. I was like, what? She has a new book out? Yes. I'm interviewing oh. her. So, yeah. She, I just want to, all I need is for her to adopt me. That's really just, I want to live with her for like a year. <laughs> it's not too much to ask. She, um, yeah, she was my favorite author. And then um, The Western Game I mentioned earlier by Ellen Raskin was my favorite book. So different, different on the author in the book. And um, at a certain point, you know, it was just kind of always writing. I would write puppet shows and make my friends be in them. I'd write plays at school. I'd write stories. And, and then by about eighth grade, realized that this was something I was getting really positive feedback for. And then by about ninth grade, abandoned my other career aspirations. I think the last other one was historian, which I would not say I'm not doing, right? right. Like, <laughs> yes, I would not say I'm not doing, especially with something like The Great Believers, um, which took a, a huge amount of historical research. And from that point on, I was just kind of hell-bent on being a writer and was lucky. You know, I was a, I was a scholarship kid at this school, incredibly fortunate and incredibly fortunate to have great English teachers. After college, I taught Montessori elementary school for 12 years, just, you know, to support myself. And it was really, really fun while I was writing my first novel and a bunch of my first short stories. And then since then I've been, you know, publishing and I still teach, but now I teach grad students and adults. Wow. I'm glad your backstory is not as devastating as the main character's backstory in the book and no. with all the trauma and tragedy and and all of that so well I'm I mean there was plenty I'm leaving there's plenty I'm leaving out it was oh, not a okay. childhood actually but th- there was a lot of upheaval there, there was there was some you know bad trauma stuff but I just I got I managed to get a great education and that is you know pr- you know perhaps one reason that I'm I'm you know really willing to revisit education in in this book, like, you know, adolescence isn't easy for anyone, but you might have, you know, gotten some incredible things out of that time that made you who you are. I know we're almost out of time, but now you said you touched on bad trauma stuff. Is there anything you want to talk about or can we like, I, what I, I, you know, I, I'm pretty open about, you know, um, people can see, uh, I have an essay that was in the New Yorker online right after the Brock Turner uh, verdict, the, the Stanford swimmer thing that was about, um, I, um, when I was 16, I put someone in prison for childhood sexual abuse. And, um, I wrote this essay. It was about victim impact statements. Um, and it's interesting. I actually have a, a different view on victim impact statements since I wrote that piece, just from having learned more about the ways that people can be advantaged or disadvantaged in those by their educational background, by how well they write, by all kinds of things that um, I sort of took for granted, especially as a as a teenager. But what I was reacting to was um, Chantal Miller, who now her her name is out there because she's written a wonderful book. Um, but she was the spectacular writer, and her victim impact statement went public in that Brock Turner case, and was just you know just overwhelmingly beautiful. And beautiful is the wrong word, but you know, like yeah. 
it was it was beautiful writing um, about a terrible thing. There definitely is, you know, as I explore in this book, as I explore looking back on predation and looking looking at the carceral system, looking at what it means to speak out against someone, that is all very personal stuff for me. It's it is in its details very, very far removed from from anything that I went through. But there there are certainly reasons why that's something that I'm I'm drawn to revisit in fiction. And then, you know, I'll say too, like, you know, my parents got divorced when I was 10 and then my father was moved to Asia and my mother was not in a great place. And my sister who was 10 years older was gone. And so this, it's a total exaggeration because my mom was, my mom was fantastic and she was, she did everything she could. But this sense that Bodie in this book has of sort of being on her own a little prematurely was definitely me exaggerating, but also working some stuff out. <laughs> so that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I'm really sorry that I did not know that. And I'm going to go back yeah. now and read the essay. And it actually gives me a whole different understanding and context to the book. So I'm glad, at least for people listening, if they haven't read the book yet, they can go in sort of with that as a backstory. Not that it should inform everything, but just like that little added added yeah. context. Um, but yeah. I'm sorry for all of that as well. No, but you know, it's it's um it's one of those things that I, you know, those experiences that make you who you are. And then also, you know, I you I look back and go, oh my God, I did that when I was 16. And that's like very proud of myself for that. You know, that that not not that people who are unable or unwilling to do that should not be proud of themselves, but like, yes. you know, look back and go, Oh my God, what the hell? Like, I, I don't know, you know, that I would have been able to do that at, at other ages in my life. Uh, yeah. but somehow at 16, I was able to, and, uh, no, I don't, I, I don't think it's a bad thing at all to go into a book with a sense of the author's biography in your head, as long as you know that what you're reading is fiction. And certainly as a writer, most of the living writers that I read are people I know. Mm -hmm. And I might know them really well, or I might know them a little bit. And it's sometimes it's a memoir and you're like, whoa, really? (laughs) But even when it's fiction, it just, you know, you read it in a different way when you know the author. And I think that because of podcasts like this, more people can have that experience, not of literally knowing someone, but feeling like you understand where the art comes from in a way that maybe some theoretical literary person would be like, no, no, you can't consider biography, but I think it makes it a lot more fun. I agree. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> Rebecca, thank you. This was wonderful. I love chatting so with you much. again. I just absolutely love the book and I'm just so impressed. I have so much respect. And oh, thank, thank you. you. I really appreciate it. Okay. All right. Well, thanks. Have a great day. Yeah. Thank you for your time. <laughs> and I'll, see you, I'll see you at book club. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 
Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.